uh, staff attorney for Renew Missouri, and he's been in that capacity since 2012. He's represented Renew Missouri and other clean energy advocates in the courts before the Missouri Public Service Commission on issues pertaining to renewable energy and energy efficiency policy. He works to ensure utilities comply with all of Missouri's renewable energy laws and helps him negotiate some of the details of utility energy efficiency programs. He has a law degree from St. Louis University. Good to have you here, Andrew. Thanks a lot, Mark. Good to have you doing the work you're doing. And my other guest is Mark Walter. He's been on Missouri, Ruben New Missouri's staff since 2014, serves as deputy director, and in addition to managing the day-to-day operations of the organization, he organizes their work to affect uh, policy changes in uh, on the state level and serves the organization's eyes and ears down in the Missouri capital. He has also worked in the solar industry in Oregon, and it's very good to have you, Mark. Yeah, it's great to be here. Yeah, so we've got a lot to talk about this hour, and uh, I think we've got the technical bugs out of the way, hopefully. We have a minor bug, but we're not going to worry about the bugs. <laughs> we're we're going to uh, get into... Uh, the nitty-gritty of a lot of energy issues this hour. I should mention your website. It's renewmo.org. Is that yes, right? indeed. Renewmo.org. You can visit us on Facebook as well. We've got an active Facebook site. We've got a Twitter presence. But yeah, go to renewmo.org. A lot of information there. All right. And uh, maybe you could start off, Mark, by telling listeners just a little bit about the organization, how long you all have been around, what you do, and both of you can jump in on the conversation however you you see fit. How's that? Yeah, sure. I think I'll kick this one to Andrew. He's more the expert on this. Sure, yeah. A um, little background on Renew Missouri. Uh, Renew Missouri started way back in uh, uh, 2006. Um, we're coming up on 10 years, actually. So it was founded by, uh, by our boss, PJ Wilson. And uh, we basically focus on statewide policy for renewable energy. And uh, over the years, we added energy efficiency policy to that list. Um, and we're located right here in Columbia on Broadway. Um, so the capital is just a uh, hop, skip, and a jump uh, away. And uh, uh, we're, we're working on renewable issues and energy efficiency issues and, uh, and all sorts of things in between. So I guess if one was to hop down one flight of stairs and skip up another, we would just take a few seconds to get from KOPN to Renew Missouri's <laughs> office because you're yep. right across the street from us. That's here. right, yeah. Right there on uh, Broadway across the street from you guys. Uh, Feel free to pay us a visit. All right. Yep, we've been uh, responsible for a, a lot of the clean energy legislation that's happened in Missouri over the past decade. We we were the 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 main you know people doing the heavy lifting for the renewable energy standard ballot initiative in 2008. Prop C. Prop C uh, that resulted in the 15 percent renewable energy requirement by 2021. Uh, we worked on the net metering policy in 2007, I believe. We uh, had a hand in the Missouri Energy Efficiency Investment Act in 2010. And since then, we've done a lot for uh, making sure that these laws get rolled out the way they should be. So. A lot of fighting to keep the utilities from uh, circumventing the intent of the voters, too. You, you know, we try to prevent fighting as much as we can. We try to keep it cooperative. But, yeah, I, I would agree with that statement for sure. All right, and uh, we should mention right at the get-go, you've got a big event coming up on April 13th, the Clean Energy Lobby Day. You want to just 
tell people briefly about that, and then we'll talk about some of the issues that are the focus of that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we are really excited to, to get people plugged into the democratic process. That's one of the things that we see as a, a big strength of our organization. So on April 13th, uh, we are asking people to show up at the Capitol. You can get all this information on our website again, renewmo.org. Um, but we're getting all the clean energy advocates in the state. Uh, it's going to be co-sponsored by the Missouri Solar Energy Indus, uh, Industry Association, MOSIA, also uh, Moms Clean Air Force, and the Missouri Coalition for the Environment. And uh, we're doing everything we can to get people heard uh, by their legislators. So we'll, we'll plan meetings with uh, legislators from your district. Uh, there's going to be a training session for how to talk to your legislators effectively. And uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. So come, show up. Excellent. I am very happy you all are doing that. And I guess we, we probably should just plow into talking about what the issues are because it's great to tell people we're going to be lobbying for clean energy, but they probably want to know what the lobby, what you're lobbying for. And I think one of the important things is not everybody can make it to a lobby day. You know, a lot of people have to go to work or have to go to class and just can't get away on, on a weekday. Uh, and of course, that's a Wednesday. So mm -hmm. Some people can, but many people can't. Mm -hmm. But everybody can take some time to send an email or a message online or a phone call to their legislators to let them know their opinion. And the issues we're going to be talking about, I would suggest to listeners, grab a piece of paper, grab a pen or pencil or your uh, tablet or wherever you write these days, whether it's on paper or uh, on your screen. Uh, but take down some of these bill numbers if you are interested in making your voice heard on them as we talk about them. You, you want to know what issues you're talking with your legislators about, and then hopefully people who are listening, if you care about these issues, you'll, you'll take the time to make your voice heard, because it's a squeaky wheel that gets the grease. Absolutely, know? yeah, and I can tell you, uh, it matters. It really does matter when you reach out personally to your legislator. They, they when, when I go in and have meetings with some of these people, they'll tell me that they've heard from people in their district. They definitely pay attention when somebody writes them a letter or sends them an email or especially picks up the phone and gives them a call. It may seem like it's not important, but I, I promise you it is. So, yeah, take notes Well, or get on the website. Like I said, there's lots of information there. Excellent. And uh, I guess we should start off uh, talking about the Clean Power Plan because that, that's a big thing. And would one of you guys want to just fill people in Assume that people haven't heard about it. I know it's been in the news a lot for the last several years, but not everybody listens to the news all that regularly and might not know. I might have EPA clean power plan, CPP, you know, something, but what is it exactly? Absolutely, yeah. Um, well, you know, if you, if you follow national politics, um, like a lot of people do, you know, this, this might have been one of the things you've heard about. The clean power plan is uh, an action by EPA that actually it, it goes all the way back to an executive action that uh, President Obama took in 2013 where he asked, um, he asked the EPA to come up with a rule to cut carbon emissions from our nation's power plants by 30% by 2030. Um, that's based on 2005 levels. So it started with that executive action, and basically EPA, uh, the authority it's hanging its hat on is Section uh, 111 of the Clean 
Air Act, passed in the 70s, um, and it basically uh, regulates hazardous air pollutants from existing power plants. So there's rules for new power plants when you go to build a new plant, and then there's a really important uh, Supreme Court decision in 2007 that found carbon dioxide, which is the main contributor to climate change, uh, they found that as a uh, hazardous air pollutant. So uh, under that reasoning, the EPA has authority to regulate uh, carbon dioxide from coal plants, basically. And this has been litigated all the way up to the Supreme Court, hasn't it? Yeah, several times now, uh, the basic premise that the EPA has the authority to regulate carbon dioxide as a pollutant, um, that, that's a pretty well-established thing now, not, not to some people, obviously. There's a whole lot of challenges. I mean, this is a, a, dying, a dying industry we're talking about, the, the coal industry. Um, I'm sure a lot of people have heard things about Peabody Coal and Arch Coal and Patriot Coal going into bankruptcy. Uh, it's, uh, it's a really changing landscape right now um, because of the effects that coal has had. Um, and, you know, the, the EPA right now is, is in a holding pattern uh, until some of this litigation um, can be sorted out. Um, people may have, I guess the most recent news on the clean power plan is the Supreme Court's decision to uh, issue what's called a stay on the rule. So the, the, the EPA started this rulemaking effort probably uh, a year and a half ago and was getting close to uh, finalizing its rule when uh, a bunch of attorneys general across the country, a bunch of state attorneys general, filed a suit saying that until some of the legal issues behind the EPA's authority can be sorted out, um, the, the rule should be stayed from going into effect, and uh, the Supreme Court agreed with that. So that, that's a really important decision that has just come down uh, a few months ago. And we in Missouri were represented in that case, or poorly represented, perhaps I should say from my own personal perspective, by our state's attorney general, who would like to be our next governor. Yep. And I think that's really an important thing to point out, that he would like to be our next governor, uh, because, you know, polling shows that, the majority of Missourians are in favor of uh, action on climate change. So regardless of your political affiliation, people are starting to see that this is a big problem. Uh, unfortunately, it's also a big political problem, um, and Missouri has some challenging ethical frameworks, to put it kind of politely. But, but yeah, we represented, or, uh, Attorney General Coster signed on to a lawsuit to, to help uh, stop action on climate change. On behalf of Missouri citizens, ostensibly. That uh, is what, yep, and, for sure. Uh, I guess his rationale was that he didn't want to see the price of our electricity go up. Is that, is that fair to say that, that was how he couched that? I'd say most of the opponents of the Clean Power Plan will say something to that effect. I mean, there's sometimes there's a bit of uh, climate denial in it, but I don't think that's, the, that's really the main thrust with uh, Attorney General Coster. He um, he has said a lot of things about cost. Of course, there's the other side of the coin on cost, where a lot of people um, think the, the cost arguments are overblown and the jobs and economic benefit arguments are uh, drastically undervalued. There's the other side of the, of the argument there. So taking this, uh, I guess one of the things that's really important for listeners to understand is that President Obama went to Paris back in... December uh, for the COP21, the international climate talks with every nation on the planet agreeing to make 
significant reductions in greenhouse gas emissions, and this Clean Power Plan is one of the cornerstones, if not the cornerstone, of President Obama's commitment to the world. That's right, um, and that was a really historic moment. I mean, even if you're a climate activist and you uh, correctly see the, the Paris Agreement as a modest, very modest step, um, it nevertheless was very significant, um, the first real global response to um, what's, you know, the defining problem of our, our age, our, our century, um, and that, that is what the U.S. has brought to the table. And we can see what uh, leadership from the U.S., uh, what sort of effect that has on the rest of the world. The day that the Clean Power Plan was, um, was announced officially, the Chinese government announced major, major cutbacks um, to decelerate their, their carbon uh, output growth and things. It's, it's very obvious that when the U.S. leads, other nations follow. And uh, so this, this current hiccup in the Clean Power Plan is a, is a major threat. Mm-hmm. So, Mark, what, what is being proposed in Jeff City regarding the Clean Power Plan? Boy, all kinds of interesting stuff, Mark. Um, we have a 75% Republican uh, majority in both houses of the legislature in Missouri, and um, they are, are dedicated to trying to stop planning for, uh, for the Clean Power Plan. So what's happening right now, or what's supposed to be happening, is Missouri's Department of Natural Resources is supposed to be having public hearings on, uh, on these plans, especially for low-income and, and uh, adversely affected communities by, uh, by these polluting sources. Uh, and in order to ensure that that isn't occurring, there are a couple of bills uh, in, in the House and the Senate that are designed to chip away at DNR's authority to create a rule, uh, which ultimately is very much to the detriment of every Missourian, regardless of whether you support the Clean Power Plan or not. So um, specifically, there's uh, Senate Bill 858, and there's also House Bill 2543, and uh, both of those bills are um, moving at the moment, and they are actually going to be word-for-word -word copies of one another. Essentially what they do is they, they say that the DNR cannot uh, continue any planning whatsoever until the Supreme Court stay is lifted. Um, that's kind of a moot point. Missouri DNR is not actually moving right now because of a, a previous law that's already on the books, but it's an election year and everybody needs something to bring home to their district and run on. So that's the, the big impetus for this right now. Right, and it's, you know, it's important to note that um, almost everyone expects this clean power plan to go forward. I mean, uh, right now there's a stay, which, which basically prevents the rule from going into effect until lawsuits can be... Um, can be worked out, but most legal um, legal minds in the country believe that um, the EPA is acting under pretty solid authority here, and it's just a question of uh, when, not if, they will uh, they will ratify e EPA's action here. Now, of course, the lawsuits in question will take place at uh, district or appellate levels, but could be appealed to the Supreme Court. It's almost sure that it'll end up in the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court's composition is in flux at the moment. Right. Uh, the, one of the most conservative on the court, Antonin Scalia, passed away, and President Obama has uh, nominated a centrist. The GOP in Congress is saying they're not going to even uh, hold hearings on his uh, nomination. Uh, they want to wait for the, whoever gets elected in November to take office and let that person make the appointment. What's your thoughts on that? 
Um, yeah, I mean, I think even without the death of Justice Scalia, uh, the court is headed in a direction of um, of affirming actions by the by the uh, by the executive branch to combat cl climate change. Um, the Roberts Court, uh, Justice John Roberts, has signaled pretty strongly that. Um, uh, at least his court has presided over a couple major decisions. I was talking about one in 2007, finding carbon dioxide as a uh, hazardous air pollutant. That was called Massachusetts versus EPA, um, written by the uh, by the now retired justice um, John Paul Stevens. But uh, with uh, with Justice Scalia's passing, now it's a four-four court um, with. Uh, Anthony Kennedy as the traditional swing vote, and if he swings the the liberals' way, it's almost a, a sure thing. Um, that is, if you if you see the court in traditional political terms. Mm -hmm. And if we have a situation which is the progressives' worst nightmare, let's say uh, Ted Cruz wins the White House and nominates somebody who makes Antonin Scalia look like. Uh, you know, a saint as opposed to, uh, you know, we, we might end up in a situation with, even with that um, ninth vote on the court, that the court would still uh, approve the Clean Power Plan. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and uh, of course that would, you know, that would beg the question, would a President Ted Cruz or a President, you know, Donald Trump... Uh, nullify this action of the EPA. And to be honest, it's, it's really unthinkable that the U.S. would walk away from something like this. Uh, almost nobody in their right mind really uh, denies climate change. I know it seems like there are a lot of people out there, but this is a, a really um, global problem, and I think almost everybody understands that. It would be pretty devastating if the USA were to walk away from its leadership role right now. And, and let's be clear that, you know, we're talking about a legal case, but Aside from a, an executive order that's that's having us make progress on climate change, every single other argument that you can think of is in favor of advancing clean energy over and above fossil fuels. So every economic argument you can look at, every jobs growth argument you can look at, there there is there is widespread public support for distributed generation solar, for taking control of your own energy, for, you know, shutting down some of these smokestacks that are polluting, you know, St. Louis has some of the highest smog pollution in the country. And this stuff is bad for your health regardless of whether you believe in climate change or not. So there are no arguments to stand on unless you're somehow profiting from fossil fuels. Yeah, and I'm sure we'll, we'll get into energy efficiency um, in, a, in a few minutes here uh, later in the hour, but energy efficiency is a really interesting case from that jobs and economic benefits argument. It's um, if you think about it as a resource, as uh, you know, a kilowatt hour saved is a kilowatt hour made. Um, you know, just like a like a power plant. Then, it, if you think about it that way, it is the cheapest resource for any utility to invest in. It is the most job effective or job intensive uh, uh, resource. There's thirty thousand people employed in the energy efficiency um, field in Missouri, while there is a couple, maybe a couple dozen coal jobs in uh, in Missouri. Um, and it's it's less so, but the same uh, the same sort of thing for solar. Uh, very job intensive, very um, uh, you know intense on the economic benefits and things like that. So, 
Right now it's 6.20, you're listening to 89.5 KOPN Columbia. I'm Mark Heim, your host for Evening Edition. With me in the studio are two guests from Renew Missouri, uh, Mark Walter and Andrew Linares. And we are going to be taking your calls maybe in about 10 minutes or so. So if you have questions for, for my guests, please jot them down, keep them in mind, and do consider calling in when I open the phones. There were some other bills that you all mentioned uh, about the Clean Power Plan. Do, do you want to go over those really briefly, Mark? Uh, yeah, sure. There's there's other bills moving forward. Um, there's in the House. There's House Bill 1967, and it's got a, a partner in the Senate, Senate Bill 687. What those are uh, attempting to do is uh, tra- uh, have utilities track the cost of implementing the clean power plan, and then put that as a line item on everybody's bill. So you'd see clean power plan costs when you get your electric bill, and that would be legally required. Um, we testified against that in the House and the Senate, those bills, I mean, aside from not making sense, I mean, how do you, how do you track costs of, of complying with, energy, uh, you know, all, all these different things? Would you build a solar plant otherwise if, if the clean power plant didn't exist? How do you track that cost? How do you track the, uh, the cost of, you know, r- legally required energy efficiency stuff that's already happening? I mean, it just it gets really tricky, and it's clear that these are political talking points and bills designed to do that. There's another bill, um, that House Bill 1470, and that is the Interstate Compact Bill. The theory behind that bill is constitutionally, States are allowed to create compacts between one another um, that would allow them to escape uh, some of the reach of the federal government. So um, Representative Eric Burleson filed this bill, and there was a hearing on it a month or two ago. That's designed to let Missouri uh, have an interstate compact with other states specifically to escape the reach of EPA and the Clean Power Plan. Of course, that bill uh, would need to be approved by Congress and signed by the president, which is a highly unlikely situation. Uh, Missouri actually passed an interstate compact uh, to avoid uh, having to participate in Obamacare as well, um, but that has yet to be ratified by Congress and signed by the president either. So, All right. And uh, is there anything else about the Clean Power Plan you think that listeners should know and should be thinking of? Um, should they be communicating with uh, Attorney General Coster or with Governor Nixon their support for the Clean Power Plan? There is one other way to look at it um, in Missouri's case. Um, you know, one of the, the defining frameworks of the Clean Power Plan is that it empowers states to do whatever they can to uh, comply in the most cost-effective way. So, um, you know, states are allowed to design their state implementation plans however they would like um, as fits the needs of their state. And if they don't, if they fail to do so, the federal government will come in and um, institute a one-size-fits-all sort of sort of rule for the state. That's really disadvantageous, uh, particularly for Missouri. Um, we have a lot of efficiency we still can do. We're way behind on efficiency. And as I said, that's the cheapest way to comply. So... Um, that's actually it actually produces a interesting set of uh, set of variables and set of supporters because the the utility sector so your Ameren Missouri's and your Kansas City Power and Lights the big utilities in Missouri actually support a state plan for the clean power plan it'd be much cheaper for them um, if we had sort of a um, easy to understand uh, plan developed by Missouri to comply um, rather than the federal government coming in and, and giving us sort of a blunt instrument rule. So there, 
there, there are reasons to support a state plan, even if you're totally against the Clean Power Plan. Interesting. And uh, given what you just said, Andrew, uh, the fact that uh, the big utilities are not uh, are not opposing uh, a state plan. What does that mean in terms of who is and what the political calculus is there, Mark? Yeah, you know, it's an interesting conversation. In in the Missouri capital, um, there, there's a lot of forces at work. Some of them are purely ideological. So some people object to the Clean Power Plan solely on the basis of the federal government imposing things on the state government. And you'll hear that a lot. Um, we also have uh, some of the most lax ethics laws in the country, and there's a lot of money flying around from one hand to the other. And, um, you know, Peabody Coal and Arch Coal are both headquartered in St. Louis, and they sell a lot of coal to Missouri. There's uh, over a billion dollars each year of coal gets sold to our state because we're 83% coal-driven. So there's a, a big stake that coal companies have in Missouri legislature trying to avoid uh, any, you know, any setbacks in their industry. The other, the other big thing that we see is the rural electric cooperatives. Um, they really, uh, it gets complicated to talk about, but on a national level, the rural electric cooperatives have strong ties to the coal industry and have strong, uh, uh, designs on making sure that coal continues to get burned in Missouri, especially, but in the United States, uh, you know, Generally, so, so then the rural electric cooperatives have a very uh, strong voice in our state. So if you if you are part of a rural electric co-op, reach out to Renew Missouri, uh, get on our website and fill out a submission form. We're interested in getting in touch with you and figuring out ways because it is a grassroots driven organization. And if you support climate change, then you can run for your co-op board. You can you can change the direction of that ship, but you got to get involved. So basically what we're seeing with the rural co-ops is that they send out hundreds of thousands of newsletters Absolutely. on a monthly basis that are incredible propaganda statements. They yep. don't brook any kind of uh, discussion or uh, real conversation on the issues. Instead, they just come out with one propaganda, propaganda screed after another, uh, denouncing the EPA, denouncing the Clean Power Plan, denouncing any efforts to really address the climate crisis. Absolutely, and it strongly affects our politics here in Missouri. You can see, uh, for example, uh, Attorney General Coster, where, when he announced that he would be signing on to the Clean Power Plan lawsuit, was at the Rural Electric Cooperative State uh, State Gathering. Associated, uh, Associated Electric uh, State Gathering. So he that was an intentional political move to try to get the cooperatives on his side, and, and we know that the Rural Missourian, which is the publication you were just talking about, that's the most widely widely read publication in Missouri. So it's not a it's not a small force. All right. Well, I want to get on to some of the other legislation. We should mention, if you've just tuned in, that Renew Missouri is getting ready to have a lobby day. That lobby day is going to be on Wednesday, the 13th of April. And uh, if you are concerned about these issues and can participate in that, that would be wonderful from Renew Missouri's perspective, my perspective as well. Uh, if, on the other hand, you can't, if you are interested in making your voice heard on these bills, you might take note of what bill numbers we're talking about. 
and make a point of contacting uh, your legislators and letting them know your feelings, whatever they are. And we can't assume the evening edition listeners agree with Renew Missouri's position or my position, but whatever your position is, it's democracy if we make it so. So I encourage participation. Uh, let's talk about net metering. I know that in, uh, in Missouri, where Renew Missouri was influential in getting a net metering law passed, as you mentioned earlier, in 2007. Uh, that's right, yeah. I'd like to yeah. explain what that is, and then maybe we talk about the issues that are being raised about net metering. Sure, yeah. Well, I think currently uh, 48 states uh, offer net metering in some form. I may be wrong on that, but uh, Missouri uh, got their their policy in place back in 2007 um, with our help. What, what is it, though? Essentially, know. sure. Essentially, net metering allows a customer connected to the grid to produce their own energy and sell it back to the grid when they're overproducing. So they, uh, the grid acts as a sort of a battery, kicking on when uh, when the kicking on when uh, when the customer isn't producing enough. So it, really, this means uh, for solar customers, there's a couple thousand solar systems in the state of Missouri, and all of them, uh, most of them, take advantage of net metering. Mm -hmm. So basically, if I have a solar array on my roof, and it's a bright sunny day, I'm making lots of electricity, I'm not using that much, rather than having a battery and being in an off-the-grid situation, I just pump those extra kilowatt hours into the grid, and it essentially, in effect, it's not really this, but in effect, it turns my meter backwards. <laughs> that's right, that's right. And then, yeah. as I need power when it's not sunny, uh, at night, whatever, I'm able to draw from the grid, and the net is what you know you get billed for is the difference between what you used and uh, what you... That's right. You, it's either you uh, get billed for uh, the energy you do use, or you get a check back from the utility if you uh, are a net producer of energy. And... Uh, you know, there's a whole bunch of benefits associated with uh, putting solar energy back onto the grid. The utility does not have to pipe all that electricity, so they save on or on uh, transmission and distribution. And uh, your local neighbors, you know, are the first ones to get your energy as you put it back onto the grid. And it's fresh right off your roof. That's right. Yeah, it's, it's, it lowers everybody's costs. Um, it's it's a tremendous policy, and uh, it's been working for coming up on 10 years in Missouri. Now, the way it works, if you uh, use, like you said, less than the amount you're producing, you get to, uh, while you're producing electricity more than you're needing, you get to sell that back to the utility at the cost you would be paying per kilowatt hour. In it's a one-for-one one thing. So, But if you produce more than what you're uh, using overall in net, they don't pay you. Correct. They pay you uh, at a cost, I guess they call it. Yeah, so they'll give you a one for one credit during the month that you generated. So if, if, you know, on the 29th day of the month or the 30th day of the month, you it's super cloudy and you use a ton of energy. All of that energy that you generated over the past 29 days or so will all get credited to you at retail value. But if you roll over into the next month, then they start to, to credit it back to you at avoided cost, which is a pretty low cost. And Missouri is also kind of an aberration. That's not a normal net metering policy. Most net metering policies will give you, on an annual basis, they will allow you to 
uh, generate energy and you know get credit for all the energy that you generated and give it to you back at retail value because that's you know utilities are, are they're not just taking that energy and it's going away they're selling it to your neighbor right down the street at retail value so they actually get a net benefit for be having you on the grid unfortunately they also are losing sales and we're talking about monopoly entities and the only business they do is selling kilowatt hours so for them um, we, we've seen national publications talk about this quote-unquote utility death spiral caused by solar they're really worried about people leaving the grid or selling less energy to lots of people as solar gets more and more affordable so that's the real boogeyman for utilities i guess the thing they would really freak out at is something like germany has with what are called feed-in tariffs absolutely yeah and we had those in oregon when i was working there and they were extremely successful mm -hmm. and then the utility the, the customers paid even more because solar is regarded as a preferred energy source. Absolutely, yeah, and you just let the market take over. So what's being proposed in Jeff City right now regarding uh, these uh, net metering? Well, you know, we have a couple of people who are pro-net metering, but by and large, because we have such an outsized force of utility lobbying in the, in the capital, we have a bunch of people every year that try to take away Missourians' right to get access to clean energy. Um, probably the most prominent effort there right now is uh, House Bill 2400 that was filed by Representative Rocky Miller, and for reference, he is the chair of the Standing Committee on Energy in the House. So it's uh, significant that he filed this bill, and it would really roll back net metering in Missouri. In effect, it would completely destroy the entire solar industry, and we would lose thousands of jobs as a result of this bill going forward. And what bill is that? House Bill 2400. Okay. Now, that, that's the bad one. What, Correct, what's, yeah. What, what's looking good on that metering in terms of what you're favoring? Yeah, you know, I'm, uh, I'm glad to report that there are a couple of good uh, solar bills. So... Um, Senate Bill 629 uh, is is a great bill to talk about. That's filed by uh, Senator Jason Holzman, and f since he's been in the legislature, he has been a strong advocate of clean energy, and he has been a, a and he has been a very. I think he's running unopposed uh, already this this time because people really like him in his district. Um, but Senate Bill 629 would be uh, would change the cap on net metering systems. So currently in Missouri, you can only install up to 100 kilowatts at a time. But if Senate Bill 629 were to be in effect, then you could install one megawatt, which is uh, a 10 times the size that you can currently install. And that really would open up the market for, you know, Walmart and, you know, big, big energy consumers who have who have clean energy demands to, to get access to this market. And sometimes producers that have like a great big roof, like a, a yep. Walmart roof, that you could put quite a bit of solar on top. Absolutely, yeah. All right. So, uh, where do you see the net metering stuff going this session? Do you have a sense? You know, an interesting thing about this session is it's, we're kind of at an energy gridlock at the moment. So there's a big, big negotiation happening right now between all of the investor-owned utilities, and that's Ameren, Kansas City Power and Light, and Empire Electric District down in the Joplin area. And they're working to get what they're calling a Grid Modernization Act. Essentially, they're trying to find a way to get faster recovery for investments that they make. They want to make more money faster. Um, and that bill might have some clean energy uh, parts to it. There's been some discussion about that in recent months. But it is... Uh 
so highly contested and it's taking up so much bandwidth for these energy committees that it's likely the only energy bill that will get talked about this entire session in you know with any merit we're working hard to get other bills to the forefront and and get people to you know pay attention and get them to call their legislators about these other um, progressive energy bills but because of the the powers that be and the money that they have to they can bring to bear at the capitol that's the bill that's really getting a lot of attention. And, you know, the way these uh, that a lot of these uh, so-called, you know, omnibus bills work is uh, if, if there's a lot of support behind a separate smaller bill, sometimes it'll get tacked on as an amendment to the, the large bill that seems to be moving and seems to have a chance of passage. So um, if there are a couple bills that we mentioned here, um, such as SB uh, 629, Senator Jason Holtzman's bill, that you would like to support, um, you can call your legislators and tell them and tell them that you support that, and that that's not a lost effort. So, well, I'm going to open the phones now. If anybody would like to ask a question or make a comment, give us a call four four three eight two five five. That's four four three talk. You can put five seven three in front of that number if you're out of the local dialing area, and we'll be happy to take your call. We are having a little bit of trouble with the uh, headphones here, so we'll have to keep your questions relatively brief. Because so I'm going to have to repeat them to our guests, but give us a call, uh, let it ring, if we don't pick up right away, we'll pick up as soon as we can at 443-8255, that's 443 Talk. area code 573 if you need that. Uh, not seeing it light up right away, there were a couple of other solar bills that you all mentioned, um, one having to do with homeowners associations, one having to do with community solar. Uh, Mark, would you want to go over those? Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the, the interesting things that we've seen uh, as a result of, you know, the politic politicization, however the word is pronounced, of, of solar is that um, homeowners associations have, have been attacking people who want to put uh, solar on their homes in Missouri. So, uh Again, Senator Jason Holzman has made an effort to try to stop those lawsuits against people who want to, you know, pr produce their own clean energy in Senate Bill 630. And then Representative Margo McNeil, she's out of the St. Louis area, she has House Bill 2152. Both of those would prohibit homeowners associations from disallowing solar on, on people's properties. And, and there's been some serious cases where, you know, people have been sued for tens of thousands of dollars as a result of, you know, just putting something on their roof, that, on property that they own. So, you know, I, I'd like them to include uh, solar clothes dryers in that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, those, those. there are homeowners associations that want to outlaw the only <laughs> solar appliance I have, which is my clothesline. <laughs> but seriously, I mean, there are neighborhoods where it's... It goes against community aesthetics to have clothes hanging there drying. God knows why people would What an eyesore, Mark. How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> what can I say? Uh, so uh, the bill's there on uh, homeowners. That's either Senate Bill 630 or House Bill 2152? Yep, yep. Okay. And then there's some great efforts around community solar, um, and that's a really interesting development that has taken hold in America over the past five or so years. Uh, essentially, not everybody has has a perfect roof for solar. Some people have roofs that faced in the wrong direction, or they have a lot of trees in their property, or they live in an apartment, but they still want to be able to participate in clean energy. So um, so community solar would give them a way to plug into a larger off-site solar array, and uh, Representative T.J. Berry is, is, uh, is 
chartering that bill right now. It's really great. It's another. It's a policy we've looked at here in Columbia with uh, Columbia Water and Light as well. Um, I know there's a lot of discussion around community solar, and it's it's one of those new policies that's really taken off in in uh, certain areas of the country. Let me mention to listeners that the number to call to get on the air and ask a question or a comment is 443-8255. There's somebody ringing in on the station line. I can't put that line on the air, but I'd be happy to take your call at 443-8255. Just call that number and let it ring. It's 443-TALK, and we'll be happy to get you on the air. Uh, not seeing it light up immediately. Uh, I do want to uh, perhaps... Uh, there's our station manager. Maybe he can tell me what's going on. David, did you have you were going to try and help us with the headphones? Thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we don't have any calls to listen to right now, but we would love to have your call at 443-8255. I guess part of what I wanted to talk about... Oh, wait. Do you have a listener calling in now? Let's get them on the air. Good evening, listener. You're on Evening Edition. Who's calling? Hi, uh, my name's Stanley Gibbs. Finley? Uh, I have a question on net uh, metering. It is that um, I've read some about it, and one of the objections that the power companies has to it is that the that how much they have to pay you for the power you put back in the uh, network, and that's coming in over their transmission things over their electric lines uh -huh. goes through all of their own facilities, and therefore the price. Uh, might be different than whatever they're charging you to put electricity into your house over let, there. Let me ask my, my guests here if they could respond to that. Uh, this is Finley who's called in to ask about the uh, net metering and is expressing a concern that he's heard that the utilities say they have costs that they incur and they're not they're not being remunerated for those costs if you're getting paid the amount they're able to sell that kilowatt hour to somebody else for. And we do have two other listeners who are trying to call in at the same time. Finley, I'm going to let you go. I'm going to see if we can get another one of these listeners' questions, then we'll ask our, our guests both of them. Good evening, listener. You're on Evening Edition. Who's calling? Hi, you are on the air. You were. Let's see. Hello, you're on the air. No. Try this one. Good evening, listener. You're on the air. Who's calling? Hi, this is Larry. Hi, Larry. Good I have a, a kind of a similar question uh, to the previous caller. Uh, it has to do with rate structures on this community solar that bill okay. that they're talking about. There's a couple of different ways that's approached. One of them, one of the local utilities, not Columbia, one of the uh, rural utilities is talking about a community solar project, but they're going to charge a premium for their... Uh, I don't know, organic, free-range uh, solar juice. Uh, so it costs more than regular power, um, which isn't very attractive. Uh, some other utilities have talked about, you buy this solar panel, you get the production off of it as if it was on your roof, a virtual solar panel, which I think that's a better idea okay. uh, let me ask so my... the people can, can, can capitalize that. Okay, so our second caller here, Larry, wants to talk about community solar and rate structure approaching that and mentions that there is a... I'll go ahead and take the answer off. Sure, thank you, Larry. There is a utility that is talking about doing community solar but wants to charge their uh, uh, 
customers a premium for that and uh, talked about the idea of another one that creates a virtual solar panel where you essentially buy the panel and then you get the electricity it produces. Uh, would you address that and also our, our previous caller's question about the costs incurred by the utility for net metering? Sure, yeah. Let, let's take that first uh, net metering question. It's one that, uh, you know, gets talked about a whole lot. Um, we're pretty familiar with this with this issue and, and encounter it uh, pretty often. The, the argument goes, um, from the utility standpoint, that... Um, when someone goes solar, when one of their customers goes goes solar, uh, the first thing that happens to the utility is they sell less energy. Um, so they're they're uh, they're out that that profit, right? They're they're making all this energy and they're not able to sell it. Um, now, the first thing to understand there is, of course, uh, most utilities in Missouri, about 75% of the people in Missouri are served by monopoly utilities, which means they, they uh, turn a profit on every uh, penny that they spend, right? They, they get to recover. They get a specified rate of recovery on what they spend. Um, well, they earn a guaranteed rate of return right. on their uh, investment, whatever right. they have in their rate base. Right. So... Um, that they, they still uh, have this problem of a, a budget shortfall, but the real problem they would say is they're not able to recover. Um, it, it, all the other customers are paying some sort of fixed cost to make up for the uh, the solar customer, right? There's the utility has certain costs that they need to cover, and if the sol if the solar customer isn't kicking in his fair share, then everybody else has to make up for it. That's how the argument goes. Well, the response um, that I think you hear less often and maybe just uh, one level harder to understand, but is nevertheless, we believe, accurate, is when you're putting uh, solar energy onto the grid, or if you're just using your own solar energy, that's got a real value to the utility. That's got a measurable value. In many states, they've done studies, so-called value of solar studies, and it, it, it attempts to measure the actual cents per kilowatt hour value of a solar kilowatt hour, a unit of solar energy. And the value that this has is, you know, it it uh, lets it it allows the utility to save on fuel. It doesn't have to burn that fuel. It uh, it. It doesn't have to transport that electric energy to the house. It doesn't have to um, but, do but all, a number of things. It's still the rate of return on their invested plant right. and equipment. Right. And, uh, you know, it turns out when these states do these value of solar studies, they arrive at a number, you know, there's, there's a whole bunch of different ones, and there's a lot of details how you do it, but states have come to um, sort of an equilibrium of about 12 cents mm. per kilowatt hour, which is more than more the than retail, retail cost of power here in, uh, here in Missouri. Yeah. But, you know, this discussion only makes sense in the framework of a captive audience to a monopoly industry. If we were talking about a free market industry, we would be talking about how costs need to be possibly adjusted, um, but, but we're not talking about, unfortunately, we're not talking about a place where you can value things that aren't sold to an industry that their only thing that they do is sell to a captive audience. So it's a it's a very challenging discussion to have, but ultimately I think the, the problem is that utilities are simply not listening to their constituents. Let's if segue into Larry's call. Yeah, sure. I've got two other people trying to get in now. <laughs> All right, it's uh, exciting. Yeah, so Larry was talking about the rates rate structure for yep. community solar. Yep. So the most successful community solar programs that we see across the country don't require ownership. 
So that's the first and foremost thing. If if you are looking at a utility that's asking you to buy a solar panel or a virtual solar panel for a number of years, that's going to be a more challenging economic uh, uh, you know proposition than if you're just subscribing to some type of clean energy tariff that utilities offer. Those are the most successful ones, and those often result in the most installation of you know large scale solar development across the country. So that's what we really like to kind of see tariff put a premium on the solar power is is yep so again we we have a challenging framework in Missouri where um, if we were talking about uh, an economy that was growing at, a, at an unprecedented rate then you wouldn't want to see that but utilities right now are seeing very small or oftentimes negative load growth where people are leaving their, their community and so they're looking for ways to make money there's no reason that solar costs more than coal or that solar costs more than any other uh, any other established fuel source so so if you're seeing if you're seeing a co-op or or somebody that's asking you to pay a premium for solar you know while we do support solar we it's a the questionable proposition let's see yeah. our next caller in here good evening listener you're on evening edition uh quick question or comment and who's calling yeah hi um i was wondering uh what your panel thought about using uh like arcadia power which is kind of a power i guess a utility broker Okay. They charge you a little rebate, but they claim all the comes from wind power. Okay, well, I'll, I'll question. Uh, I want to try and get this other listener's call, call too. So, and John. John, thanks for your call. Hang on one Thank sec. You. Good evening, listener. You're on Evening Edition. Thanks for your patience. Who's calling, and what's your question or comment? Uh, this is Caleb Arthur, and I would Thank just like Caleb. to tell you guys that you're doing an excellent job, and I support everything that you guys. Caleb Arthur, and I would Thank just Caleb. like to tell you guys that you're doing an excellent job, and I support everything that you guys are talking about. Well, thanks. Appreciate that that call, Caleb. That that was Caleb Arthur. I think you all know him. Absolutely. How you doing, Caleb? And um, good. You guys have a great show, and you know, I think the one thing that we need to point out is that um, conservative or or, you know, Republican, Democrat, whatever side of the aisle you fall on, that there are a huge amount of costs um, to the pollution that we put in the air, medical costs, environmental costs, and if you tacked all those back onto the coal-fired power plants, um, solar is, um, you know, going to be half the cost of coal. So I just want everybody to remember that. Well, Caleb, thanks for your help, for your call and for the good work you do. I believe Caleb is involved with... Uh Mosilla, is that Mosilla? Yeah, he's the current Mosilla. president of Mosilla and the CEO of uh, Missouri Sun Solar, one of the one of the more successful companies here in our state. What is Mosilla? Mosilla is the Missouri Solar Energy Industry Association. So they advocate for more solar in Missouri. Okay. Right, and if you're talking about jobs, you know Caleb uh, there, he, he employs over 100 people here in the state of Missouri, and that's a that's a brand new company. So started his that company gives you with his own two hands. Great. Well, yep. Thank you guys for having me on, and yeah, it's uh, it's all about education, and we're on the side of truth, and it's you know we're we have the light shining on us, and we're gonna we're gonna make every bit of it that we can, and we're gonna put as many solar panels on as we can. So, um, encourage your listeners to look at energy efficiency. Uh, go to mosia.com. Look at all the uh, great member uh, installers we have there, and get a quote for solar if you haven't looked at it. That's the number one thing you can do to help. Right. Is just raise another flag on the solar side and 
and let everybody know that we're coming. Well, thank you, Caleb. The, the other caller had a question about, uh, his name was John, he had a question about buying uh, power that was coming from uh, essentially one of these brokers. He mentioned Ar Arcada, I think it is. Uh, there, there's some companies that say they will uh, get you green energy or maybe a certificate that's an offset. Uh, can you address that and what, what your thoughts are on uh, the notion that you can green your, uh, your electric consumption even buying the energy that's been produced primarily by coal from a local utility? Sure, yeah. They, these, uh, you know, these are so-called green pricing programs. There's a, a couple of utilities in Missouri, um, uh, Ameren, Missouri's uh, green, uh, what's it called? You know, I, I can't remember. Sierra Power. Club has one that they've been offering, yeah. too. Yeah, some of these, you know, we have uh, mixed mixed feelings of these types of things. Uh, we we have gone round and round with utilities uh, regarding uh, the central renewable energy law in the state and whether uh, the utilities can comply with these types of renewable credits or not. Um, the central thing is, it, you know, the argument is whether uh, renewable power, if it's going to be used for compliance, whether it should be created here in the state of Missouri and actually sold to the, 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 the actual power itself, not just the piece of paper, whether it should be required to be sold to uh, Missourians. And we think the, the much uh, better way of approaching things is to keep things local, to keep things in the community and have your, uh, your dollars, if you're electing to spend extra money, you know, on these... On, on renewable energy to have it result in real uh, construction of solar panels or, or a wind farm or a you know bio digester or whatever it is um, the key thing is to have it result in new energy right because uh, in California they're just swimming in renewable energy they've got a ton of it so it costs them nothing to overproduce and sell it to us here in Missouri um, but, but they're not really selling it to that's us. right yeah that's it's, it's so-called unbundled yeah, they, yeah they're sort of selling it twice if, if it you know, seems if, to me. if you do it that way, you're missing out on one of the key benefits of renewable energy, which is you know community resiliency. If we're talking about a distributed grid, it's it's much it's much safer. It's a much uh, more reliable network to have smaller nodes of generation across a state than to have a few central generation producing points in you know in key locations and then distributing that power hundreds of miles sometimes to get to a place. So, you know, one of the big revolutions that's happening is you know solar and wind they're they're enabling local communities to take control of their own energy generation and you know creating more jobs and, and more resilient communities generally yeah and a lot of times these green pricing programs or these credit uh, programs you know they they they're trying to um, give people with good intentions a way to to uh, spend their money on renewables but we would really suggest um, Pulling out for something like a community solar model, or a solar model, or investing in your own your own renewable uh, system, or the much better alternative, in my, in my opinion, uh, energy efficiency. Energy efficiency is cheaper. Uh, it's much more cost effective, and it uh, it's it's the right investment to make before you even consider solar. We were going to be talking more about energy efficiency, and we're going to get to because we're just ahead of time. No, no, <laughs> it, it happens sometimes, especially with four callers, and I had to repeat the questions. So uh, I apologize for that, but uh, it's more to talk about next time. In the meantime, though, what I would hope you might do in these last couple of moments we've got together is tell folks how they can get involved with New Missouri, what the opportunities are for participation, 
and uh, they, they won't really be needing those because we're, we're just about wrapping up here. We're not going to take any more calls, and unfortunately. But, uh, you know, uh, I know you also have an event coming up the end toward the end of April, so maybe you can just tell people how to get involved, repeat the information about the Lobby Day, and talk about the uh, the. the is it Chasing the Sun? Absolutely, yeah. Um, I would encourage people to go to renewmo.org. Um, we've got uh, our fourth annual Chasing the Sun 5K run uh, coming up here in Stevens Lake Park. It's on April 30th. Um, that's, a, that's a Saturday. Come and join us at 9 in the morning. This will be our fourth one. Uh, it, it's a great time every year. Um, Mark did real well last year. He beat me. While wanting, while wearing a big sun costume as well. Yeah, um, yeah, I put that on my resume later. So. All right, we, we got a lot of sponsors. Sure. We'll have some some Broadway brewery beer there, and uh, so that's coming up the thirtieth of that's April. Right. April thirteenth is Lobby Day. Yep, yep. And do people register to go to the Lobby Day? You know, we definitely encourage you to get on our website and RSVP for the Lobby Day. It makes it easier for us to plan. But you know, if you just show up, I will never turn anybody away. That would be really exciting for us to have more than RSVP. Well, we are out of time. I want to thank both of you guys for being here and for the good work you do. My guests this hour, Mark Walter and Andrew Linares of Renew Missouri, the website renewmo.org. Thanks so much, guys. Thanks, Thanks for having us, Mark. All right, certainly. And we're going to go to the Progressive Community Update. There are a number of events on the calendar. We'll see if we can get, uh, get those to you. And uh, I do want to thank... Uh, our station manager, David Owens, for coming in and uh, working on getting our, our headphones.